The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. How do you think about yourself? Noran? No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to answer that out loud. (laughs) How do you think about God? How do you think about yourself in regard to God? How do you think about the right way and how and how God thinks of you and how you relate to God? Those are... Those are all vitally important questions that, that uh, really affect the way we live. It affects everything about us. And what we've been doing in, as we've studied Romans, Paul has been helping us to gain an understanding of reality. Now, that's important to understand that we're studying reality as it is. We're not just doing a practice of positive thinking. We're not just saying, hey, if you think about things, things, things this way, it, it all works out better. It's... What we're doing is aligning our thoughts, our lives, our actions with reality as God reveals it. God reveals these things are true. And so if we believe them, it affects the way we live. For instance, if you you believe an airplane will fly, then you're willing to get into it. It's not just the fact that you believe it, that it positively changes it. It's reality. The airplane through dynamics of airflow can fly. And if you believe that and you see it, you're convinced of it, then you get in it. If you believe that chair that you're sitting in will hold you, you're willing to rest and and place your weight in the chair. And so Paul has been revealing reality to us, things that we wouldn't necessarily know on our own. And that's the beauty of the scriptures. The scriptures reveal to us God-established realities that if we understand them, believe them, it changes the way we live. And what we've been seeing is Paul revealed several realities about what, how to think about ourselves and how to think about God and our relation to God. Before we were believers in Christ, we were in one of three categories. We talked about them, that the atheist, the moralist, the religious, the atheist, moralist, religious, all in the same category. All of them lacking the glory of God and therefore under condemnation. Because whether the atheist who says, I don't have anything to do with God, the moralist who says, I'm good enough because of my moral behavior, or the religious who thinks that their religious activity makes them right with God, God says in the Bible, he reveals, nope, none of you are made right with God through those things. That They're all in the same category, lacking the glory of God because of their sin and are under the condemnation of God. And then Paul reveals a new reality that you can be saved, you can be declared right with God, through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's why Christmas is so special to believers, because it's about the coming of God in flesh. He was the God-man, born the Virgin Mary, lived the perfect life so that he could give the perfect sacrifice to pay for rebellious sinners' sin. He took the punishment that sinners deserved. He buried, rose again, and proved victorious over death as the Son of God. And so... What Paul has been revealing is the reality is you can be made right with God by faith in Christ. Not by your religion, not by your moralism, not by your deeds, but by faith in Christ. And then he's been explaining radical new realities that we enjoy in Christ. And that's the way he's been talking. He's been saying your faith with Christ creates a vital union with Christ. And I think of it very, I have an image in my head that affects the way I live that I think of it very literally. I'm in Christ. Christ is here. I'm hidden in Christ by faith. And that helps me think through my battle with sin. I'm in Christ. I'm victorious over this. This does not have power over Christ, so it doesn't have power over me. 
Uh, my hope for the future. All that is Christ, all the heavenly blessings of the spiritual places are mine in Christ. So I think about it that way, and it's very helpful. And that's the way Paul tells us to think about it. I've got, I did a little feedback, or I invited a little feedback from the staff about our series. And one thing they offered a suggestion was, I don't know that people still could explain justification, sanctification, glorification. And I said, okay, let me, let me go through that very briefly, because that's really what we've been dealing with, but we're just going to slap some labels around it. Because these are theological terms using the scriptures and Helps us understand what's going on. All right, first of all, write this down if you will. It'll help you think through these things. It gives you categories of thinking. And it's important, as I said, because if you understand the God-given realities, it affects the way you live. So what is justification? Paul says, in Christ, you've been justified. This is a reality. This is not just wishful thinking. This is a reality. In Christ, you've been justified. What is that? You've been declared righteous. There's been a declaration of your life. You have been declared righteous. If you think about it in this idea of physically being in, the, in Christ, you've been set free from the penalty of sin. Christ is not going to be punished for sin, is he? Well, you're in Christ. You're not going to be, you are set free from the penalty of sin. That's justification. You get credit for Jesus' righteousness. All right. Secondly, sanctification. This is really the experience of this lifetime until from salvation till death. This is the experience that you experience. Here you have with Christ, if you're in Christ, you were dead with Christ, buried with Christ, raised to walk in the newness of life with Christ. So this is the experience of living out the new freedom from the power of sin. If you've been declared as free from the penalty of sin, now you're learning how to experience freedom from the power of sin. It's a growing process. We're going to talk more about that today. It's a learning process. It's growing in godliness. It's living out the new you. It's, it's a gradual, sanctifying, setting apart of your life. It's, that's what sanctification is. All right? So justified, you're set free. You're declared free from the penalty of sin. You're declared righteous. Sanctification, you're learning to walk in your new freedom from the power of sin that you have in Christ. Finally, glorified. You're glorified in Christ. It's already a reality. You're glorified. And so what is that? You were raised, if you're in Christ, you were raised with Christ. Christ never to die again. So your physical passing of this body is not death. It's not the end. It is only a transition to freedom from the presence of sin. When you're in the presence of Christ, is there sin in Christ? No. In the dwelling of Christ, is there sin? No. So you're free when you are finally with Christ physically. You are free from the presence of sin. That's glorification. You have a new body, a new dwelling, and you're with him finally, whether it's there or when he comes back. So that's glorification, freedom from the presence of sin. Justification, freedom. You're declared righteous, freedom from the penalty of sin sanctification, you've been set free from the power of sin, now you've got to learn to walk in that. Glorification, you ultimately already guaranteed you will be set free from the full presence of sin with a new glorified body, new glorified heavenly place, dwelling place there, here, wherever Christ is, you're with him. All right, so those are realities that are yours in Christ. 
Learning to think that way and believing that and knowing those are true will change the way you live. And now, what Paul does today... Now, if you remember the last thing he said last week is, you're free from the power of sin. That's why you're not going to go crazy when you hear about grace. You're not going to go live like a fool when you hear about grace because you're free from the power of sin. And you go, well, yeah, but I can say no, but will I say no? He says, yeah, why? Because you're enslaved to new desires, is what he said last week. He said, you're enslaved to the new heart's desires that God gives you. When you are in Christ, you have the desires of Christ. And so you not only can say no, but you will begin to say no to those sinful desires because you're enslaved to the new desires of the new heart that God gives you. But then he says, I don't really like the idea of the analogy enslaved. Remember in 619, he said, I use this analogy because the weakness of your flesh, but it's really not like being enslaved. And so today he's going to continue to help us understand how to think about our relationship with God. How do you think about your relationship with God? He says, let me, let me just change the analogy a little bit. And so that's where we're going to go today as we look at it. First of all, he helps us understand how to think about our relationship with God He lays down a principle, and he's going to illustrate it. Then he's going to apply it and explain it. So let's look at the principle. In verse 1, Paul's point is we need to remember, in in chapter 6, I told you, you died with Christ, so you're not under the law. And so today he lays down the principle, or do you not know? Notice it's important that you know thinking Theology leads to different lifestyle. He says, do you not know, brethren? He's talking to believers. Brethren. And then he says in in quotes, for I'm speaking to those who you know about the law. So believers who know about the law, either Jews converting to Christ or Gentiles converting to Christ who knew all about the law and thought maybe they need to live that way. He says, listen, do you not know, brethren, I'm speaking to those of you who know about the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. So he's talking to believers who know all about the Mosaic law and the old covenant. He's saying, listen, do you not know that you in Christ are no longer under the authority and the rule of the law of God? You got to understand how earth shattering this is to these people. He's telling them something that is so fantastic that for thousands of years has been God's great gift to God's people. The law as a part of the Mosaic covenant was everything. God said, here's how you relate to me. Here's how you experience my blessings. If you don't, if you don't live by these things, you'll experience the curses of the law. This is how the Abrahamic promises will be brought into your life is through your obedience to the law. Put yourself under the law. The the psalmist said, we delight in the law. God said, the law is fantastic. Paul said the law was a custodian and a tutor to their life. It kept them safe. It protected them. It gave them direction until Christ would come. And now Paul says Christ came. You're in Christ. And in Christ, when he died, you died. You are not under the law. It's like, what? It's the same reaction we feel when we hear your life as, as in relation to God is not about rules. It's not about moralism. It's not about religion. And we just go, well, wait a minute. People are going to go crazy if you keep saying this. 
What's going to keep people from living like fools? And Paul says, you need to understand, though, do you not know that when you're in Christ, when Christ died, you died, and if you died, the law has no jurisdiction over someone after he dies. And so then he illustrates it. That's the, that's the principle. The law has jurisdiction over a person only as long as he lives. Now he illustrates it, and this is the key point, how to think about our relationship with God. He says, let me illustrate. Verse 2. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then if while her husband is living, she joined to another man, she'll be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she is not an adulteress, though she is being joined to another man. And so Paul is saying the analogy of marriage to help him understand. Yeah, you were right to be bound to the law. That was a gift. That was a blessing. It is good. It is a blessing. Don't, because all of us are going to be thinking, wait a minute. And Paul deals with this in chapter 7. He says, listen, if I'm not, if, if the law did, did all these bad things, or if that's the result of that relationship, then that old bad law, I don't need the law. Yeah, tear up all the commands. I don't need all that. And Paul says, wait a minute. Let's think through this. The law is good. It's a blessing. And you were married to the law. He says, but... When you died in Christ, the law no longer has jurisdiction over you. And he says, just like with a marriage, when a husband and wife marry, as long as they are both living, they're not free to go remarry another person while they're both married to this one. That's called adultery. He says, but if the spouse dies, she can go remarry. And so he's making the point that death ends the binding effect of that law. He says, you're in Christ. You die with Christ. It's reality. Now, know that that means you're set free from the binding effects of the law. Now, so what? He says, so that, and now he makes the application. Look at verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. Why? So that you may get married. This is what that language is. So that you may might be joined to another, to him, Jesus, who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. So it's not just, hey, you died to the law, no rules, woohoo, let's go. He says, no, you died to the law so that you can get married to Christ. You were married to the law, the law was binding, it was your obligation to the law was real and good. He says, but now you're married to Christ. That's why you need to get this concept. And so this is, what this is in biblical terms is the old covenant is gone and the new covenant has come. The old covenant, God established a relationship with his people. And he said, the way you need to act is in accordance with these laws. You are under the jurisdiction of these laws. These ceremonial laws. Sacrifice these for the sins of the people. Do this. Uh, live this way. Civil laws. Order yourself as a society of people. Israel was told. Here's how you should organize so you don't kill each other. Here's the death penalty for you as a society of people. All this was for Israel. And then moral laws. We see the, the moral will of God for his people. He says, this is how you experience the life of blessing. And, and it was a great gift of God to the people. Listen to Deuteronomy 4, 5 through 10. Moses is giving the law that Paul's talking about, giving the law to Israel. 
And listen to how beautiful this is. He says, see, I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded you, that you should do this in the land where you're entering to possess it. Keep and do them, for this is your wisdom. This is your understanding in the sight of the people who will hear all the statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as this people? The Lord our God, whenever we call him, or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law, which I am setting before you today? Only give heed. Give heed to yourself, give heed to your soul, so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen, and that not depart from your heart. Verse 10, remember the day you stood before the Lord at Horeb. The Lord said to me, assemble the people, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days and live on earth, and they may teach their children. So clearly the Mosaic law was a wonderful gift from God. And it says, live this way. Experience God's blessings this way. Teach your children. Teach your grandchildren. This is the key to experiencing the blessings of God. And having the nations see the glory of God and his wisdom and his beauty and his majesty. When God's people lived according to God's will, it displayed his glory and they experienced the great joy and blessings of God. Paul says, you're dead to that. Jeff always says, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. That's what he's saying to the law. You're dead to me. That has nothing to do with you anymore. What? What do you mean? All right, he explains. Think about a marriage. When you died, you freed from the bondage of that law. But then he applies it. This is so that you could be married to another. This is so you could be married to Christ. Now, what we understand in the old covenant, there was failure. All that did was produce fruit unto death. That's what he says. Look in verse 5. For while we were in the flesh... He's explaining the problem in the Old Covenant. We were in the flesh. Now, what he means there is we were not indwelled by the Spirit of God. In the Old Covenant relationship, God's people were not indwelled by the Spirit of God. They still had the old heart, which was filled with sinful passions. And so, he says, we, while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions, which were aroused by the law, that good, beautiful, wonderful law, when we read, do not covet, our sinful passions said, covet. It aroused the sinful passions of our heart. That's what happened. And he says, And those sinful passions were at work in the members of our body. We fleshed out those sinful desires bearing fruit for death. That's what happened in the Old Covenant. When you read about Israel's history in your Old Testament, that's the story. In fact, in Deuteronomy 4, Moses says, right after he says, This is the law. This is the path of blessing. He says this. But when you become father of children and children's children and you have remained long in the land and you and you act corruptly they're like huh what do you mean well yeah you're going to act corruptly you're going to make an idol in the form of anything and you're going to do that that which is evil in the sight of the lord your god so as to provoke him to anger he says i call heaven and earth a witness against you today you will surely perish quickly from the land where you're going over to the jordan to possess it You shall not live long in it, but you will be utterly destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples. You'll be left few in number among the nations where the Lord drives you. So this is exactly what happened. Moses told him, here's the law. If you live this way, it'll be beautiful. 
but you ain't going to do it. You're not going to do it. All the law is going to do because your heart is corrupt. You don't have the spirit of God. It's just going to bring those sinful passions of your heart out full force. It's going to flesh out in your lives, bring fruit unto death. Shame to yourself, shame to the name and defame to the Lord's name. And I'm going to kick you out of the land. And so the, the story of the Old Testament is we got a problem. And that's all of our stories. All of our stories is that we need the new covenant. We need a new relationship. We need a fix for our heart. We need something to happen inside so that we live to the glory of God. And that's when the prophets started coming and telling God's people, yeah, you're going to be kicked out, but I've got good news. There's a new covenant, a new way to relate to God, a whole new paradigm. And listen to the prophet Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 36, 23, 26, and 27. God says through the prophet, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name. You were supposed to live by the law to display the holiness of my name. You've messed it up, but I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. This is how I'm going to make the nations know. This is how... I'm going to accomplish my will on the earth, God is saying. This is how I'm going to restore my glory to the ends of the earth. This is how, he says, verse 26, Moreover, I will give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit within you. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh, give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. He says, this is what will happen in the new covenant, in this new relationship, which Paul describes as a marriage to Christ. He says, in this new covenant, what was wrong in the old will be fixed. The law was great and beautiful and wonderful, but the heart was bad. They were in the flesh. He says, I'll give you a new heart. I'll indwell your body with my own spirit. And I will cause you to finally get it right. And he describes it, though, with a new analogy. Describes it as a loving marriage. Whereas last week he said, listen, you're enslaved to Christ. He's like, but I don't really love that analogy. I don't want you to walk around thinking I'm enslaved to Christ. His point was, there's a compelling force over you when you're in Christ. But it's not like slavery. Now he's saying, it's like a loving marriage. It's love. It's radically new. That this new way to think about things, your relationship with God, when I asked you at the beginning of the service, how do you think about yourself? How do you think about your relationship with God? I bet most of us didn't think in terms of a loving marriage relationship. And Paul is saying, that is reality. And if you want to enjoy it and the life transformation that comes with it, you've got to believe it and align. You've got to get in that plane. That you are in a loving marriage relationship with God if you are in Jesus Christ, by faith in his work on the cross on your behalf. So let's think about it. What does that mean? What does it mean to be in loving marriage relationship with your creator? 
Well, to think about these things, Tim Keller's commentary on this chapter was very helpful. And there's a couple of things that we can think about it when you think about marriage. First of all, it does mean that we do not live however we want to live. I mean, when you married your spouse, if you're married, what did you do? You made a voluntary decision to walk away from lots of freedoms. You made a covenant commitment, right? Mickey, Mickey finds that funny. Amen, brother. Amen, brother. Yeah, you do not get to just live like you lived when you were a single man when you get married. And guess what? Your first year, you figure that out real fast. And it's real painful. Because your selfish desires start crashing in with alternative realities. You ain't that free single man no more. You give up the freedom to go find another love. You give up the freedom to get to know other women at that level to decide if this is the one for me. That's over. You have made the decision. I am restricting myself from those freedoms. Early in the marriage, what at first it feels like suffocation, if we're honest, because we're selfish individuals. I remember those first years. I'm like, what is the problem with golf? Right? It was, I got my pattern of living. This is the way I'm doing it. You should be glad I'm not doing these other things. That's baloney. I, when I committed to my wife, was making the decision, I am no longer free to live like a single man anymore. And so we aren't free to live however we feel like we're going to use our time. We're not free to just use our money for whatever we want to do. We're not free to use our energies, our times, our emotions, all the steward of all the resources. It's all different now. It matters. So saying you're free from the law doesn't mean you live however you want to live. You're in a marriage with Christ. And you have voluntarily chosen to give up some freedoms. But what's the difference? Difference is you want to. You found someone so wonderful, so lovely, so worth it that you say, I don't want those freedoms. I want you. Never will forget. I always have to tell these stupid stories on myself. Never will forget we were going to college came a time where I was going to Tech, Dana was staying at LSU, and I decided, I have a lot to offer Tech women. I need to, I need to get to know the dating situation over at Tech. And so I'm like, man, I think we're going to take a break. I'm going to Tech, we'll give it a quarter, figure things out. You know, it's good, don't worry, don't be crushed, you know. And so, go over to Tech. Got that first date set up, man. I went on the date and I came crawling back on the phone. Never mind, I love you. I don't want any other women. I don't want to date around. You're the one for me. She's like, uh-uh. She's like, oh no, you get this out of your system. And so that whole quarter, she would not get back together. I had quickly seen, I don't want those freedoms. I want you, Dana. And she says, well, you're going to get the freedom until you realize you don't want the freedom. And all that happened that quarter was she dated weathermen in LSU. And I'm just sitting there going, okay, are we done? Are we done? Let's get back together. 
What happens in the marriage with Christ is you don't want those freedoms. You love your spouse. You want to give up those freedoms because you have found your spouse that valuable. So it's not woulda, coulda, shoulda, duty. It's delight. It's choices. I'm not going to live that way because I love Christ and he is worth it. So that's, that's transformative. The Christian life is not one of duty. It's one of delight. When you read your word and you pray, those are love letters. That's quality time with the one you love supremely. You come to church, you're singing love songs to the one you love supremely. That's what, that's what this is. It's radically different than duty and religion. It's delight and relationship. So you don't live however you want to live. You don't just live however you live. Committing to the one you love supremely, which means you voluntarily walk away from freedoms that other people may have or you may have had once in your life. It also means the relationship is comprehensive. It affects everything. When you get married, you don't just go in saying, it's not 50-50. You hear that a lot. No, that's not how it works. It's 100-100. It's, I give you everything. It is a one flesh relationship. Two individuals who have been taught their whole life, you are the ruler of the universe, doted on whatever you want. Here it's yours. Then you date in this world system of dating is all about selfishness. It's about what makes me feel happy, what makes me good, who gives me what I want. That might be the person I marry. And then they come into my office. We want to get married. And I say, wait, you don't understand. Marriage is the opposite of everything you've heard your entire life. Marriage is giving yourself 100% unconditionally to that spouse, dying to self daily, even if they're not reciprocating. That's the unconditional self-sacrificing love of a marriage. And they go, we're ready. We love each other. And I go, you don't have a clue. All right, let's do this. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the reality. Is marriage is every ounce of your being dying to yourself and giving it to the other person. Not because they deserve it. Not because they did what I wanted. Unconditional, self-sacrificing love where you cherish them, as Paul says, like you cherish your body. When you're hungry, you feed it. When you're in danger, you protect it. When you're tired, you rest, give it rest. This is what you're called to do. Give everything to your spouse. Emotional, physical, spiritual, every bit of it, he says, it affects all of you. Now, when we think about marriage, we know that takes work. The Christian life with Christ takes work. It takes practice. Dan and I praise God and give God the glory for everything I'm about to say. But we have an awesome marriage. We dated for six years before our senior year in high school. We started dating. We dated all through college. And then we've been married for over 22 years now. And I praise God for that. But the first 10 years is ugly. 
First year was real ugly. We had some people next door to our apartment, our townhouse. We thought we were going to witness to them. And I bet they were like, that's exactly why I'm not a Christian. I mean, we had a lot to learn. Selfishness is just being ripped out of your heart. And it's just hard. It's ugly. Stress of new marriage and jobs and life and all that just revealing all kinds of ugliness in the heart. But over time, you learn. You learn the process by God's grace of taking joy and bringing the other joy. It's not enslavement. It's not just do your deeds, live by the rules, keep her happy. That's not it. It's learning to take joy and bringing the other joy. It takes time to the point where 10 years of learning that process of dying to self and taking joy in it, it being your desire to bring them joy. The last 10 years, I can say, I'm so praise God. I'm thankful that my kids say, the only times y'all argue is when you're trying to give each other what the other one wants. I said, well, praise God for that because it has not always been that way. And so Paul is saying, this is what it's like in your new life in Christ. You're married to Christ. You don't live just any old way you please. You live with the desire to restrict yourself of certain lifestyles and certain choices and certain things because he's that wonderful. And so he says, you also make the decision to make it your joy to bring Christ's joy, to bring glory to God. It becomes your joy and it is your desire, it is your love to live to the glory of Christ. That's a radically different lifestyle. Is that the way you think about your relationship with God. When I opened, I said, how do you think about yourself? How do you think about God? How do you think about your relationship with God? What do you think God thinks about you? He, if you're in Christ, if you believe that Jesus pays for your sins and nothing else, you've been declared right with God. You're learning to live out that reality. And one day you will be free from the presence of sin. He loves you. It is his joy to bring you joy. And he wants you to think of him the same way. Do you love Christ? Have you learned to make it your joy to sacrifice freedoms, to sacrifice things, to say, I want to, I love Christ. I want to come to get to know him through prayer and the word and Bible study. I want to sing praises of my, the joy of my heart, my love to him. I want to meet with people who, who love him as I do. Has that become how you relate with God? Because that's, that's what he wants. Because that's reality. If you're in Christ, you are his bride. If you're not in Christ, we've already talked about that reality. You lack the glory of God and you're under his condemnation. But today, the greatest Christmas message is simple. Embrace Christ and what he did on the Christ. Receive the gift of Christ's righteousness for yourself. Enter into that marriage with Christ and enjoy that wonderful, blessed relationship with him. Let's pray together.
Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.